0: Welcome to the Thunderbolts.info podcast for November 24th, 2012. We bring you all the latest news, information, and analysis from the Electric Universe, shedding new light on the many mysteries that dark theories have yet to illuminate. I'm very excited about the program we have in store for you today. In fact, I'm not just excited, I have nervous anticipation. Many followers of the Thunderbolts project have become aware in recent years of the work of a gentleman by the name of Stephen J. Crothers. And Stephen Crothers has presented a challenge to the scientific dogmas that have arisen in the last century surrounding Einstein's theory of general relativity and black holes. In fact, the very existence of black holes is now being questioned by Stephen J. Crothers and more and more people around the globe including many qualified scientists in different disciplines not just mathematics are taking a deep interest in Stephen Carruthers challenge. The presentation that we are offering you here today is the most challenging and technical presentation that we have offered to date on the Thunderbolts YouTube channel. I myself am a layperson And yet, our feeling is that there are basic ideas and principles that can be understood at a purely common sense level. So I'm going to bring Stephen on to the show now. And first of all, Stephen, thank you very much for being here today. I am very excited, as I said, about our discussion why don't you begin by telling the listeners a little bit about your background in terms of your interests and your academic training.
1: My name is Steve Crothers. I hold uh, qualifications in philosophy, an undergraduate degree, postgraduate certificate in science, uh, in pure mathematics, a postgraduate diploma in technology, a postgraduate certificate in engineering, and finally a master's degree in astronomy. I work. Uh, for about 12 years uh, as a uh, sessional teacher at uh, colleges and universities, and prior to that, I had nothing to do with academia. I, ran into research, I went into research at the age of 47, currently 55, and I specialized in um, mathematical analysis of general relativity.
0: Very good. Now, before we get into the meat of the discussion here, I'd like for you to tell the audience a little bit about a controversy that has been brewing behind the scenes over your challenge to the scientific establishment on the question of black holes and relativity. The way that these issues are presented in mainstream scientific media, the public is not really made aware that any such controversies exist. These issues are kind of presented as though they're essentially settled. So why don't you tell the audience about the response you have received when you have confronted members of the so-called establishment with your evidence?
1: Generally speaking, the response from the establishment, which we might call, has been negative. They tend to, in my experience, uh, resist any argument at all that uh, questions the authority of Einstein or the theories that they've established on the basis of general relativity, or allegedly on the basis of general relativity. And so my experience has been very, very poor with them. Indeed, when I was a PhD candidate at the University of New South Wales in the School of Physics, when I was studying astrophysics and astronomy, after about two years into that program, which I was doing part-time, I came into a somewhat of a clash with the uh, professors of the university on the theoretical issues surrounding general relativity, and it developed into a rather acrimonious situation, which ultimately culminated in me being expelled from the university for simply doing nothing other than challenging the currently accepted paradigm in relation to the nature of the universe being interpreted in terms of space-time, four-dimensional space-time, and, and Einstein's conception. Uh, of the gravitational field. So it's been from the outside area that my work has been pursued by uh, people and I find a growing support, ground of support and it's, uh, I think, a quite legitimate one because the arguments that uh, underlie the foundations of general relativity show that it can't really hold up as a a, uh, a well-established physical theory. So that's about the size of the uh, situation but there is, I believe... a a growing interest in the problems associated with general relativity because so many things have had to be uh, constructed ad hoc to salvage the theory. Uh, Unfortunately, um, my feeling is that it can't be salvaged for for various reasons, as we'll see, and uh, some new ideas as to the structure of the universe are necessary.
0: Stephen, thank you for that background story. I did not know your personal story, but I guess the details that you're giving are not a terrible surprise to me or probably to anyone in the Thunderbolts group. Now let's move on now to the issue of the five proofs that you will be offering in our discussion today. For full disclosure, I'd just like to let the audience know that I did specifically request your assistance leading up to this interview in formulating the appropriate questions. Most of the issues we're talking about today are well outside my own comfort and familiarity. So if I at any point misstate something or you'd like to offer clarification, please feel free to correct me wherever is appropriate. Now, my first question is, it's my understanding that within an Einsteinian frame, matter is not the cause of a gravitational field, because gravity is not a force but is due to a curvature in his space-time induced by the presence of matter. But isn't it true that based on the principle of general relativity, the universe contains no matter whatsoever. No stars, no planets, no galaxies, let alone neutron stars, black holes and the like. In fact, in this purely mathematical model, even atoms and subatomic particles are removed, so that consequently, is physically meaningless. Is this not so?
1: Yes, but I'll qualify that. Einstein's field equations were reduced by Einstein to a set of equations where he sets the Ricci tensor to zero. That is, uh, which, actually I'll, which I'll refer to as Ric. R-I-C equals zero. In this instance, this does meet all the points that you made, that it is actually an empty universe. So uh, so in regards to that, yes, indeed, this is true, although it is disguised by a meaningless play on the words first used by Einstein and reiterated by his followers. But before I answer this question, uh, let me say something more about the causal connection between space-time and matter in general relativity. In their book, An Introduction to Modern Astrophysics, Carroll and Ostley say that mass acts on space-time telling it how to curve. Space-time, in turn, acts on mass telling it how to move. In their book, A Short Course in General Relativity, Foster and Nightingale state that Einstein's field equations couple the gravitational field contained in the curvature of space-time with its sources. Hence, in short, we have a simple relation space-time geometry equals minus kappa times causative matter, that is, sources, where kappa is a, merely a, a coupling constant. Now, mathematically, this is expressed by Einstein's field equations as capital G sub uv is equal to minus kappa capital T sub uv. Now, capital G sub uv is called the Einstein tensor, and it denotes the geometry and curvature of space-time, that is, Einstein's alleged gravitational field. The Greek letter kappa, as I said, is merely a coupling constant, and the capital T sub-UV is called the energy-momentum tensor, and it describes the sources of the gravitational field, that is, the matter that causes the curvature of space-time geometry, and hence the gravitational field. The subscripts u and v take the values 0, 1, 2, 3. We should also note at this point that solutions to Einstein's field equations are given in terms of what is called a metric, or line element. These two terms are nothing but fancy names for a distance formula by which the distance between two points in the Minkowski-Einstein four-dimensional space-time can be allegedly calculated. We are now in a position to answer your question, and to thereby consider the first argument I present for the non-existence of the black hole via Einstein's argument for the field equations for his uh, so-called static vacuum field, from which the so-called Schwarzschild solution was obtained by David Hilbert, actually, in December 1916, and from which the black hole was spawned. Hilbert's solution is a corruption of Schwarzschild's solution obtained in December 1915 and published in January 1916, and also of the equivalent of Schwarzschild's solution found independently by Johannes Schuster in May 1916, published in 1917, neither of which, I might add, contains the black hole. Now, according to Einstein, if the energy-momentum tensor is zero, then his field equations allegedly reduced to RIC equals R sub UV equals zero for empty space, the so-called static vacuum field, since in this case the Einstein tensor reduces from G sub UV to capital R sub UV, where, as I mentioned, R sub UV equals RIC is the RICI tensor. Now, we note that by setting the energy momentum tensor to zero, Einstein has removed all matter and hence all sources from his field equations by the very definition of the energy-momentum tensor. Therefore, Rick equals zero describes a universe that actually contains no matter and hence no sources, and so there can be no black hole since the alleged mass of a black hole is a source for an, an associated gravitational field. Indeed... We note that according to the Dictionary of Geophysics, Astrophysics and, Ast- and Astronomy, black holes were first discovered as purely mathematical solutions of Einstein's field equations. This solution, the, the starch-tilled black hole, is a nonlinear solution of the Einstein equations of general relativity. It contains no matter and exists forever in an asymptotically flat space-time. Now a universe that contains no matter contains no gravitational field, and does not model the actual universe, since the actual universe contains lots of matter and gravitational fields. Thus, Rick equals zero has no physical meaning, contrary to Einstein's claims and those of his followers. You see, Einstein removes all matter, and hence all sources, by writing Rick equals zero, as a result of setting the energy momentum tensor to zero, And in the next breath, he says, Rick equals zero describes the field outside a body, such as a star, where the components of the energy momentum tensor vanish. Since matter is still the source of Einstein's gravitational field, when one asks Einstein, then what is the source of this alleged gravitational field outside a body, such as a star, he tells us that it is the body outside of which the gravitational field exists. Indeed, in his book, The Meaning of Relativity, Einstein says in relation to Hilbert's metric that m denotes the sun's mass centrally, symmetrically placed about the origin of coordinates. Now, I point out that this is a circular reasoning and therefore invalid, remembering that he has already removed all matter and hence all sources by the very writing of Rick equals zero Einstein cannot remove all matter and hence all sources on the one hand by writing rick equals zero and then in the next breath insert the notion of a source being present with the misleading words outside a body because there is no body present for anything to be outside of by virtue of the energy momentum tensor being set to zero. His argument violates elementary logic and is therefore false nothing but a subtle play on the words outside a body. Thus, rick equals zero is physically meaningless. Now, since rick equals zero has no physical meaning, Hilbert's solution has no physical meaning either, and so it cannot contain mass, and hence a black hole. The same holds for Schwarzschild's actual solution as well and Druster's equivalent solution. Thus, there is no such thing as a black hole. The black hole is not predicted by general relativity at all. This argument is sufficient to invalidate the concept of the black hole completely. Indeed, any of the arguments I will give stand alone as proofs that the black hole is fallacious.
0: stephen, that's uh, that's very good, and it's actually amazing to me that a layperson like like myself, can find your discussion as compelling considering that I have no training whatsoever in mathematics. Now let's move on to question number two. Einstein's theory of general relativity includes the principle of equivalence. How does the principle of equivalence relate to the alleged existence of black holes? And does this principle require the a priori presence of multiple masses?
1: In his book, The Meaning of Relativity, Einstein uh, asserted that his principle of equivalence and his laws of special relativity must hold in sufficiently small finite regions of his gravitational field, and that these regions can be located anywhere in his gravitational field. Now we note that both the principle of equivalence and special relativity are defined by Einstein in terms of the a priori presence of multiple arbitrarily large, finite masses and photons. It is therefore impossible for the principle of equivalence and special relativity to manifest in a space-time that by mathematical construction contains no matter. But Rick equals zero is a space-time that by mathematical construction contains no matter. Indeed, in the Dictionary of Geophysics, Astrophysics and Astronomy, uh, we find the following remark. Uh, which I previously uh, gave in the first proof, but is worthy of repeat here. Black holes were first discovered as purely mathematical solutions of Einstein's field equations. This solution, the Schwarzschild black hole, is a nonlinear solution of the Einstein equations of general relativity. It contains no matter and exists forever in an asymptotically flat space-time. Thus, RIC equals zero violates the physical principles of general relativity and so it is inadmissible and therefore has no physical significance. Since Hilbert's solution is for rick equals zero, it is also of no physical significance because it is a solution for a space-time that by mathematical construction contains no matter. But it is from Hilbert's metric that the black hole was first conjured. Therefore... The black hole is not consistent with general relativity at all. General relativity does not predict the black hole. Since the black hole is a theoretical entity first obtained from Hilbert's solution, the black hole does not exist.
0: You know, Stephen, I think that if I fully comprehended everything that you just said, I would probably have goosebumps on my neck right now. Anyway, let's move on to question number three. The principle of superposition is a well known property of linear systems in physics. Does Einstein's general theory of relativity adhere to this basic principle?
1: The answer is an emphatic no. The principle of superposition does not apply in general relativity since Einstein's field equations are highly nonlinear, because when we attempt to solve his field equations for some supposed configuration of matter, we are confronted with a set of non-linear partial differential equations. Mathematically, this simply means that if X and Y are separate solutions to the field equations, then the linear combination, AX plus BY, where A and B are scalars, is not a solution. Physically, this means that one cannot pile up matter into any given space-time, that is, into any solution to Einstein's field equations, to obtain additional masses, charges, photons, and electromagnetic fields as as desired. But that is exactly what Einstein and his followers actually do as a matter of routine. We should also note that in section 14 of his original paper, The Foundation of the General Theory of Relativity, published in 1916, Einstein asserted that matter consists of mass and of the electromagnetic field, and all this contributes to his gravitational field, even though there is not one iota of experimental evidence to suggest that, a mat- that electromagnetic fields and charges contribute to gravitation. Charge is implicitly included because electromagnetic fields cannot be present without charges in motion to produce them. Hence, charge is included in the so-called rise in the Nordstrom metric for a charged black hole allegedly obtained from an energy momentum tensor that contains terms for a pure electric field and no mass term uh, to carry the charge for the electric field, bearing in mind that there can be no charge without mass. One cannot simply pile up masses and photons and charges and electromagnetic fields in any given space-time because each and every proposed configuration of matter must be described by a corresponding energy-momentum tensor, and Einstein's field equation solves separately for that energy-momentum tensor. Now, Rick equals zero is a spacetime that by a mathematical construction contains no matter, and so Hilbert's solution describes a universe that contains no matter. But the actual universe, as we've noted previously, contains a lot of matter. And since the principle of superposition does not apply in general relativity, one cannot insert matter into the space-time of rick equals zero, and hence neither into Hilbert's associated solution to get any number of masses as one pleases. Thus, there can be no black hole in in Hilbert's solution, and there there is no black hole in the space-time of rick equals zero by the very definition of rick equals zero. Thus, the black hole does not exist, but it is claimed that the black hole is contained in Hilbert's solution by Einstein's follows. This is clearly impossible. Now let us assume for the sake of argument that Rick equals zero actually contains one mass as Einstein falsely claims. So that Hilbert's solution then describes a universe that contains only one mass. Thus the relevant space-time is infinite and totally empty save for the presence of the mass of the alleged black hole. There is no meaning to a gravitational field outside the said mass in a universe that contains only that one mass. All experiments show that gravitation is an interaction between masses. Now, neither the principle of equivalence nor special relativity can uh, manifest in a space-time that allegedly, by mathematical construction, contains only one mass. And since the principle of superposition does not apply in general relativity, one cannot simply pile up photons, masses and charges and electromagnetic fields in the space-time of Rick equals zero, described by Hilbert's solution, in order to obtain multiple masses, be they other black holes or other matter for the black holes to devour, or to have charged masses or electromagnetic radiation outside the alleged Hilbert black hole. Hence, Rick equals zero and Hilbert's solution violate the physical principles of general relativity and are therefore once again inadmissible. Moreover, all alleged solutions to Einstein's field equations for a black hole pertain to an infinite universe that contains only one isolated mass, be it a starch-chilled black hole, that is, a Hilbert black hole, be it a charged black hole, that is, the the nordstrom black hole, be it a rotating black hole, that is, the Kerr black hole, or be it the charged and rotating black hole, that is, the Kerr-Newman black hole. In all cases, the principle of superposition does not apply in general relativity, and since there are no known solutions to Einstein's field equations for two or more masses, and no existence theorem, by which it can even be asserted that his field equations contain latent solutions for two or more masses, one cannot pile up additional masses and photons and charges and electromagnetic fields into the space-time of any of these alleged types of black hole. Hence, the principle of equivalence and special relativity cannot manifest in the space-time associated with any of the types of black hole alleged, so they all violate the physical principles of general relativity. Thus, none can describe the actual universe. It is therefore also utter nonsense to assert that black holes can exist in multitudes and interact with one another, be located at the centres of galaxies, collide or merge with one another, be components of binary systems, or exist with other matter That they can swallow and digest despite the almost daily claims for the discovery of multiple black holes in the universe and black holes and other matter in the universe indeed NASA recently posted a report to the world wide web that its people have discovered 2.5 million black holes the claim is just plain poppycock in addition since general relativity has only solutions for one mass be they solutions cosmological or otherwise, general relativity cannot account for the well-established experimental fact that two fixed suspended bodies will approach one another upon release.
0: Alright, now we move on to question number four. Is it true that Newton's expression for escape velocity appears in Hilbert's metric by means of a false analogy with Newton's theory? and that division by zero is permitted therein, in violation of elementary mathematics.
1: Yes, this is indeed true. In Hilbert's metric with the speed of light C in vacuum and Newton's gravitational constant G, written explicitly, uh, explicitly instead of the usual deceptive form where C and G are set to unity, the following two terms appear. G sub zero zero equals, 1 minus 2 gm over c squared r. g sub 1, 1 equals minus 1 over 1 minus 2 gm over c squared r, where, uh, according to uh, the components of the black hole, the range of r is 0 is less than or equal to r is less than infinity. The quantity r has never been properly identified by the relativists, including Einstein himself. It has been variously and vaguely called a distance, the radius, the radius of a two sphere, the coordinate radius, the radial coordinate, the Schwarzschild R coordinate, the radial space coordinate, the aerial radius, the reduced circumference, the shortest distance to the center, and even a gauge choice that defines the coordinate r. In the particular case of r equals 2gm over c squared, it is invariably called the Schwarzschild radius, or the gravitational radius, for the radius of the event horizon of the black hole. In his paper on a stationary system with spherical symmetry consisting of many gravitating masses, published in October 1939, Einstein uses the Hilbert metric written in the so-called isotropic coordinates and continually and incorrectly refers to R as the radius. This large number of different definitions of R attests to utter confusion amongst Einstein and his followers. Clearly neither Einstein nor his followers know what the quantity R is in Hilbert's metric. Now, none of the foregoing various and vague concepts of R are correct because the irrefutable fact is that R, in Hilbert's version of the Schwarzschild and Druster solutions, is the inverse square root of the Gaussian curvature of the spherically symmetric geodesic surface in the spatial section, which is easily proved by calculation. And so it does not denote any distance at all in Hilbert's metric and so it cannot ever be treated as a radius or a distance in Hilbert's solution, contrary to the practice of Einstein and his followers. Now, by incorrectly treating R as the radius, the proponents of the black hole that say that when R equals 2GM over C squared, the term G sub 1, 1 equals minus 1 over 1 minus 2GM C squared over R in in the Hilbert solution, is singular, because this term, they say, is then infinite. This is false, because singular is a deceptive term that really means undefined by virtue of the fact that at r equals 2gm over c squared, the term g sub 1, 1 equals minus 1 over 0. And so involves division by 0, which is undefined, as any high school student knows. Nonetheless, the proponents of the black hole permit the division by zero, and in this case they call r equals 2 gm over c squared, the sparse radius or gravitational radius of a black hole, that is, the radius of the event horizon of a black hole. But as we have also seen, r is neither a distance nor a radius in Hilbert's solution. So the claim is, again, patently false. Then they say that at r equals 0, the term g sub 0, 0 equals 1 minus 2gm over 0 is singular. And that uh, is, is then infinite and negative. And the term g one uh, sub 1, 1 equals minus 1 over 1 minus 2gm over 0 is 0. This again actually means that the solution is undefined at r equals 0 because the term 2gm over 0 is undefined, since it involves division by 0. Thus, the proponents of the black hole permit division by 0 twice when r equals 0. Thus, they violate elementary mathematics once again, and so the black hole is false. Furthermore, at r equals 0, they claim that there is an infinitely dense point mass singularity. But special relativity forbids infinite density, and hence general relativity also forbids infinite density, since you will recall that according to Einstein, his laws of special relativity must hold in sufficiently small finite regions of his gravitational field. Now, the infinitely dense point mass singularity is an oxymoron, because a point is a mathematical mathematical entity that, by definition, has no extension. But a mass is not a point, since it is not a mathematical entity, but a physical entity, that thereby necessarily has extension. Yet the proponents of the black hole nonsensically claim that there is an infinitely dense point mass singularity for the black hole at R equals zero in Hilbert's solution. In his book, The Theory of Everything, The Origin and Fate of the Universe, Stephen Hawking says, The work that Roger Penrose and I did between 1965 and 1970 showed that according to general relativity, there must be a singularity of infinite density within the black hole. In their book, Tensor Geometry, The Geometric Viewpoint and Its Uses, Dodson and Poston say, once a body of matter, of any mass m, lies within its Schwarzschild chilled radius 2m, it undergoes gravitational collapse, and the singularity becomes physical, not a limiting fiction. In their book, An Introduction to Modern Astrophysics, Carroll and Ostley say, A non-rotating black hole has a particularly simple structure. At the centre is the singularity, a point of zero volume and infinite density, where all of the black hole's mass is located. Space-time is infinitely curved at the singularity. The black hole singularity is a real physical entity it is not a mathematical artifact. These claims are patently false because there can be no infinite density anywhere in Einstein's gravitational field, no matter howsoever it is alleged to occur, because infinite density cannot be reconciled with the special relativity. Hence, the black hole is again false. It is also important to note that infinite dense point mass singularities occur in Newtonian mechanics where they are called centres of mass, which are merely logical fictions or mathematical artifices, not real objects, as any engineer knows. Yet the proponents of the black hole, as we have seen, claim that they are real physical entities. Now, one can go to the shop and buy a bag of marbles, but if one went to the shop and asked to buy a bag full of centres of masses, the shopkeeper would rightly think that his customer was rather odd, to say the least. So we might well ask, where does that lead the proponents of the black hole? In addition, solving the so-called Schwarzschild radius term r equals 2 gm over c squared for c, we get c is equal to the square root of 2 gm over r, which we immediately recognise as Newton's expression for escape velocity. Thus, at the so-called Schwarzschild radius, The proponents of the black hole claim that the escape velocity of a black hole is the speed C of light in vacuum. But Newton's expression for escape velocity is an implicit two-body relation. One body escapes from another body. And so it cannot rightly appear in an expression that allegedly describes a universe that contains only one body, but which is in actual fact an expression that describes a universe that contains no matter at all by virtue of Rick equals zero. Newton's expression for escape velocity appears in Hilbert's metric by means of an invalid analogy with Newton's theory. Note also that in Newton's expression for escape velocity, the quantity r is an actual radius, but this is not the case in Hilbert's metric. Indeed, it is not the case in any of alleged black hole solutions to Einstein's field equations. Yet despite this irrefutable fact, The relativists always treat R as the radius in all alleged black hole metrics, and so their conclusions are all totally false. The proponents of the black hole claim on one hand that the escape velocity of of a black hole is the speed of light C in vacuum. By virtue of the Newtonian expression for escape velocity, C is equal to the square root of 2 gm over R in Hilbert's metric. But if that is so, then by the very definition of escape velocity, light can escape from the black hole. However, the very same scientists also claim, on the other hand, that nothing, including light, can even leave a black hole. This is a contradiction, and so the arguments are patently false. Nothing but a suffer play on the words escape velocity. Indeed, according to Chandrasekhar, in his paper, The Increasing Role of General Relativity in Astronomy He says, Let me be more precise as to what one means by a black hole. One says that a black hole is formed when the gravitational forces of the surface become so strong that light cannot escape from it. A trap surface is one from which light cannot escape to infinity. The problem we now consider is that of the gravitational collapse of a body to a volume so small that a trapped surface forms around it. As we have stated, from such a surface, no light can emerge. In his book, The Theory of Everything, The Origin and Fate of the Universe, Hawking says, I had already discussed with Roger Penrose the idea of defining a black hole as a set of events from which it is not possible to escape to a large distance. It means that the boundary of the black hole, the event horizon, is formed by rays of light that just fail to get away from the black hole. Instead, they stay forever hovering on the edge of the black hole. Taylor and Wheeler, in their book, Exploring Black Holes, Introduction to General Relativity, assert that Einstein predicts that nothing, not even light, can be successfully launched outward from the horizon and that light launched outward exactly at the horizon will never increase its radial position by so much as a millimetre. Thus, the notion of black hole escape velocity is meaningless, and owing to the contradiction in relation thereto, the black hole again does not exist. Notice also that Einstein's followers say that there are two singularities in Hilbert's solution, one at r equals 2gm over c squared, and 1 at r equals 0. They say that r equals 2gm over c squared denotes a coordinate singularity or removable singularity, which they remove by means of the complicated kruskal szekeres coordinates, since they incorrectly treat r in Hilbert's solution as the radius. But they nevertheless, nevertheless retain it as the alleged radius of the event horizon of a black hole, thereby committing another contradiction, by which the black hole is invalidated yet again.
0: Okay. Now, folks, I'm going to briefly interject one point here. If there are any students watching this, students who have entered college or university, and they are studying many of the subjects that Stephen Crothers is addressing here today, irrespective of how you might feel about the correctness of his conclusions, and regardless of whether you even fully comprehend everything that he's talking about. My invitation to you is to please consider sending this presentation to your professors and to directly challenge them to try and repudiate the points that Stephen is making here today. Now we move on to question number five and this is our final question today. Is the theoretical Michel Laplace dark body associated with Newton's theory of a black hole?
1: Absolutely not. Although it is routinely asserted that the theoretical Michel Laplace dark body of Newton's theory, which has an escape velocity greater than or equal to c, is a kind of black hole, or that Newton's theory somehow predicts, according, uh, for example, to Taylor and Wheeler in their book Exploring Black Holes Introduction to General Relativity the radius of a black hole. Hawking remarks in his book, The Theory of Everything, The Origin and Fate of the Universe. On this assumption, a Cambridge don, John Michelle, wrote a paper in 1783 in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London. In it, he pointed out, that a star that was sufficiently massive and compact would have such a strong gravitational field that light could not escape. Any light emitted from the surface of the star would be dragged back by the star's gravitational attraction before it could get very far. Michelle suggested that there might be a large number of stars like this, although we would not be able to see them because light from them would not reach us. We could still feel their gravitational attraction. Such objects are what we now call black holes because it is what they are. That is what they are. Black voids in space. In the Cambridge Illustrated History of Astronomy, it is asserted that 18th century speculators had discussed the characteristics of stars so dense that light would be prevented from leaving them by the strength of their gravitational attraction. And according to Einstein's general relativity, such bizarre objects, today's black holes, were theoretically possible as end products of stellar evolution, provided the stars were massive enough for the inward gravitational attraction to overwhelm the repulsive forces at work. In their paper, Astrophysical Evidence for the Existence of Black Holes, Salotti, Miller, and Schiama say, in his famous article of 1784, which is seen as being the beginning of the story of black holes, John Michel wrote, If there should really exist in nature any such bodies, we could have no information from sight. Yet, if any other luminous bodies should happen to revolve around them, about them, we might still perhaps, from uh, the motions of these revolving bodies, infer the existence of the central ones with some degree of probability, as this might afford a clue to some of the apparent irregularities of the revolving bodies, which would not be easily explicable on any other hypothesis. There, at the very beginning, the theoretically predicted properties of Newtonian black holes were discussed, together with a carefully worded statement about how it might be determined observationally whether such objects do in fact exist. In the Dictionary of Geophysics, Astrophysics and Astronomy, one finds the following assertions. Black hole a region of space-time from which the escape velocity exceeds the velocity of light. In Newtonian gravity, the escape velocity from the gravitational pull of a spherical star of mass m and radius r is v sub escape equals the square root of 2 gm over r, where g is Newton's constant. Adding mass to the star, increasing m, or compressing the star, reducing r, increases V sub-escape. When the escape velocity exceeds the speed of light, even light cannot escape, and the star becomes a black hole. The required radius, R sub-BH, follows from setting V escape equal to C. R sub-BH equals 2gm over C squared. In general relativity, for spherical black holes, Schwarzschild black holes, Exactly the same expression, R sub bh, holds for the surface of a black hole. The surface of a black hole at R sub bh is a null surface, consisting of those photon trajectories, null rays, which just do not escape to infinity. This surface is also called the black hole horizon. According to Chandrasekhar in his paper, The Increasing Role of General Relativity in Astronomy, That such a contingency can arise was surmised already by Laplace in 1798. Laplace argued as follows. For For a particle to escape from the surface of a spherical body of mass m and radius r, it must be projected with a velocity v, such that a half v squared is greater than gm over r. And it cannot escape if v squared is less than 2 gm over r. On the basis of this last inequality, Laplace concluded that if r is less than 2 gm over c squared equals r sub s, say, where c denotes the velocity of light, then light will not be able to escape from such a body, and we will not be able to see it. By a curious coincidence, the limit r sub s discovered by Laplace is exactly the same that general relativity gives for the occurrence of the trapped surface around a spherical mass. Now I note that it is not surprising that general relativity gives the same R sub S discovered by Laplace, because the Newtonian expression for escape velocity is deliberately and inadmissibly inserted post hoc by the relativists into Hilbert's metric in order to make it so. Newton's escape velocity does not drop out of any of the calculations to Hilbert's metric. Furthermore, although rick equals zero is to describe space-time outside a body, Hilbert's metric is nonetheless used to describe the interior of a black hole as well, since the black hole begins at the alleged event, uh, event horizon, not at its infinitely dense point mass singularity, said to be at r equals zero in Hilbert's solution. We therefore see that the expression r equals 2gm over c squared is the radius at which light can escape from the theoretical Michel Laplace dark body associated with Newton's theory, not the sparse radius of a black hole, and has nothing to do with the alleged black hole whatsoever. If r is less than 2gm over c squared, then the escape velocity of the Michel Laplace dark body is greater than C for a fixed mass M. And so light cannot escape from it, but that does not mean that light cannot leave it. Now, the Michel Laplace dark body is not a black hole. The Michel Laplace dark body possesses an escape velocity, whereas the black hole has no escape velocity. Objects can leave the Michel Laplace dark body, but nothing can leave the black hole. There is no upper limit of the speed of a body in Newton's theory, so masses can always escape from the Michel-Laplace dark body, provided they leave at or greater than the escape velocity. The Michel-Laplace dark body does not require irresistible gravitational collapse, whereas the black hole does. It has no infinitely dense point mass singularity, whereas the black hole does. It has no event horizon, Whereas the black hole does. There is always a class of observers that can see the Michelle Laplace uh, Laplace dark body, but there is no class of observers that can see the black hole. The Michelle Laplace dark body can persist in a space which contains other matter, including Michelle Laplace dark bodies, and interact with that matter. But the space time of the alleged black hole is devoid of other masses by mathematical construction and consequently cannot interact with anything thus the michelle laplace dark body does not possess the signatures of the alleged black hole and so it is not a black hole conclusion and recapitulation Uh, from the foregoing analysis we can conclude without any doubt that the black hole is not predicted by general relativity or by newton's theory in any form whatsoever and since a black hole is allegedly a theoretical entity predicted by general relativity, we can conclude that the black hole does not exist. It is therefore no wonder that nobody has ever found a black hole anywhere, despite the almost daily claims for black holes being found all over the place. The search for black holes has always been destined to detect nothing. Finally, it can be easily proven that that general relativity violates the usual conservation of energy and momentum and is therefore in conflict with experiment on a very deep level. Thus the black hole is again invalidated, as is the Big Bang cosmology with its expansion of the universe and Einstein's gravitational waves. I will not present this proof now as it involves some mathematical calculations involving tensor quantities and Einstein's demonstrably invalid pseudo-tensor.
0: Steven, this was an amazing thing for me to participate in here today. I've never taken part in anything like this before, and I'm really looking forward to see the kind of debate that is stirred up by this presentation. My hope is that this will be a permanent resource that will be a source of discussion and argument among people who have devoted their lives to studying these questions. And we're very excited about having you as a featured speaker coming up at the Thunderbolts conference in Albuquerque in January 2013. So again, really thank you for presenting this here today in a manner that uh, despite its somewhat dense technicality, even a layperson like myself is really able to take something meaningful away from it.
1: Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm very uh, uh, honoured and uh, that I've had the opportunity to uh, present these ideas in, in, in fairly straightforward terms that I think most people can understand now, and I look forward to talking further about it in future and uh, covering perhaps some of the other aspects, particularly the uh, proof that uh, Einstein's uh, theory uh, violates the usual conservation of energy. This is necessarily a little bit more technical uh, because we have to resort to a little mathematics, but it is not that complicated actually once one understands the mathematical operations involved on the most fundamental basis because the mechanical churning out of the uh, solutions is not important. What we want to do is really see what we start with and what we end up with and essentially understand how it is that this came about, and the conclusion itself really drops out.
0: All right, Stephen, this is groundbreaking stuff. I'm very glad that we did this today, and I look forward to seeing your presentation in Albuquerque. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Steve, and thank you, the listener, for participating in our discussion here today. This was not a Electric Universe or Plasma Cosmology discussion, but everything that Stephen uh, was talking about certainly is relevant to any understanding of how the universe actually works and we're very happy and honored to have given him this platform today to share the products of his research with you the viewer stay tuned to the thunderbolts youtube channel youtube.com thunderboltsproject thunderbolts project and www.thunderbolts.info for all of the latest news and information on the electric universe thank you very much